But just doing that and having a product is not enough because no one's ever heard of a plant-based egg. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Josh Tetrick to learn more about the company he founded, Eat Just. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Good to be with you. Hey, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So I want to start with uh, you just giving a quick overview of what falls under the Eat Just umbrella. You guys have had a, a really interesting history as a disruptor, and I think it would be good for folks just to know what falls under that umbrella today. You can think of uh, Eat Just, Dave, as a, a company that's challenging two big assumptions in how we eat food. The first assumption is that the world's most ubiquitous animal protein, which is the chicken egg, needs to come from an animal. It, it seems like it should be true that a chicken egg, an egg should come from an animal, but we've really challenged that and built a technology and a business model and a brand around the idea that it's actually better if it comes from a plant. Our product is called Just Egg. It took us a number of years to develop, but the, the quick and dirty version is we found a bean out there among hundreds of thousands of plants that makes a better version of an egg, free of cholesterol, a lot less land water carbon emissions. You don't need billions of animals. And ultimately, it'll be the most cost-effective, the best tasting, the healthiest egg on the planet. Today, we're the fastest growing egg brand in the United States, we're in 20,000 points of distribution and more to come. And the second big assumption that we challenge in our way of relating to and consuming food is that in order to eat an animal, you need to kill an animal. That also seems pretty obvious, but it's not true anymore. You can eat plenty of animals, chicken, pork, beef, you name it, without needing to slaughter a single animal. And that's through a technology called cultivating or culturing meat. It starts with a cell, not the slaughter, and then ends with a nice chicken breast. And we cultivate it in large-scale stainless steel vessels called bioreactors. And we're the first company in the world to launch this type of slaughter-free meat ever. When we launched it in Singapore late last year, we're currently selling it in restaurants today in Singapore. It was recognized as one of the scientific breakthroughs by Guardian and others last year. And ultimately, we think it's going to be the way that people consume meat. So those two things, egg and meat, two different assumptions. And we've got a lot of hard work ahead to really make this broader mission of building a healthier food system, uh, one in which we don't need to slaughter an animal, we don't need to tear down a tree, we don't need to, need to use any antibiotics to feed our families. And that's what we're pushing for. So when you look back over the last decade of the landscape of new consumer brands, a lot of folks focused on taking a, let's call it point of parity product and doing great branding and marketing around it. You guys decide to tackle the hard problem first of really doing the R&D and new to the world products. How have you balanced the scientific side and the branding side of the business as you grew the company? Yeah. Well, the way we look at it is, let's start with the egg, that you cannot do an egg from a plant if you're not employing a new approach, if you're not employing a different approach to technology. It simply can't happen. I cannot buy ingredients at Whole Foods or on Amazon and mix them together in my kitchen and do this. So it necessitates, whether I wanted to or not, it necessitates an entirely different approach. One where we have to figure out, is there a 
protein in a plant out there that scrambles like an egg. An egg does a lot of things, but one thing it does really well is gel at a similar time and temperature. An egg gels, so when you crack an egg, it, it doesn't just look at you, it, it comes together based upon time and temperature. And we had to find a plant, a protein within a plant that would do the same thing. So there's a lot of work to find it, a lot of a data-driven approach to do that. And then there was a lot of work to figure out, once we found what we're looking for, how do you separate protein at scale so that it maintains most of its native functionality? But just doing that and having a product is not enough because no one's ever heard of a plant-based egg, right? So how do you introduce a product like that to a consumer base initially in the US that has never even contemplated that an egg from a plant exists. And that's where branding and communication and connecting at the end of the day really matters. So we don't look at one as more important than the other. We look at both as being fundamental to making this happen at scale. And, you know, we take inspiration from a lot of different technologies through the years who in the moment, it didn't seem like it was going to be the thing, but now is the thing. And I'll just give you a few examples. In 2001, there was a poll that said 3% of Americans could imagine choosing streaming their music over buying their music. Today, 86% of the music listened to in the United States is streaming. 20 years ago, General Motors was actively fighting against the commercialization of electric cars. A couple months ago, they said the only thing they're going to be doing is electric cars. 10, 15 years ago, big jewelry companies like Pandora couldn't even contemplate the idea of lab-made diamonds. Just recently, Pandora said the only thing they're going to make are lab-made diamonds. And consumers shift, but they don't just shift by accident. It's because of companies and policymakers and, and, and others and citizens fighting for it. And the kind of brand we, we build is, is fundamental to making that happen. So I want to talk a little bit more about that point you just made of how do you get a mindset shift? Because it's a mindset shift, not just of consumers, but also of industries. And you guys have taken a really interesting approach of enrolling chefs and restaurants and others as part of your journey. How have you thought about that different players that are involved in the industry and driving that mindset shift across all of them? Well, so the first thing that we realize is it's not just it's not just one thing. It's chefs, it's consumers, it's moms, it's dads, it's it's the whole deal. But at least with uh, egg, we decided to start off uh, in retail, focus on being displayed next to the egg. The egg set is one of the most traffic sets in a grocery store, so we got a lot of natural discovery just because people are. You know, buying some fruits and vegetables, getting a steak and going to buy a dozen eggs. And then they see this thing that comes from a plant up there. So there is a lot of natural discovery that ends up coming from that. We've also built uh, relationships with, um, uh, with plant-based chefs, with famous chefs who have uh, shared it in their cookbooks and on their social media channels, in their blog posts, in their own kitchens, to their own influential friends. And that's uh, been really important. Probably the single most effective, just tactical marketing thing that we do is that we display content to people who purchase other plant-based products. So if you've ever had any plant-based milk, if we're doing a, jo a good job, there's a good chance you're going to see our content. 
And that's the, just in terms of bang for the buck, that's the single most effective thing that we could do. On the meat side, it's probably even more challenging because this idea that you can eat real animal flesh without needing to slaughter an animal is kind of a bizarre one, right? If I'm, if I'm being honest about it. And we had a, a pretty tight go-to-market strategy in Singapore where we sat folks down at a restaurant table, served them the chicken, but also immersed them in a 360-degree film that took them through what our food system used to look like, how it got screwed up, and how we can change it for the future, and then serve them the chicken at the end. And then more recently, we had a delivery program where we delivered chicken to people's homes and had a, a film that was a part of that. And this is our approach at combining a, a new technology in food with something that is very human, authentic storytelling about why something matters. And again, we just think both are critical. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So as you were starting the company and deciding which spaces to tackle, what led you to egg being the first one and then chicken being the second one versus any of the, the proteins or others that you could tackle? For egg, it just was the pretty simple formula of what is the most consumed animal protein on planet Earth? And it happens to be the 2 trillion chicken eggs that were laid last year. It's just the most ubiquitous animal protein. So for lack of having you know, some deep strategic think tank along with us. It was pretty much just me and my co-founder, Josh Bach. I was starting it on my uh, my good friend's couch. It just felt like a good place to start. So not, not really any more thinking than that. And then we decided to get into this approach of cultivating a meat, cultivating meat uh, about three and a half, four years ago. We do a beef and pork uh, and chicken and chicken um, we decided to start with because it is second to the egg in terms of the most consumed animal protein. So the first most consumed, the second most consumed, we'll eventually get into beef, pork, and, and seafood. And what's interesting about these two approaches, one is they share a common mission. How do we build a food system where you don't need to industrialize animal protein and tear down rainforests and use antibiotics? They share a common one of wanting people to feel good about the food that they consume and, and not feel bad about it. But they're two different technologies. One is explicitly plant-based. It comes from a bean. And one is explicitly animal-based. It comes from an animal. You just don't need to slaughter the animal. One is a little bit more commonly understood because of plant-based milks and plant-based meats. Ours is a plant-based egg. The other is brand new. First time in the world, when we launched in Singapore, that anyone consumed real meat that didn't require slaughtering an animal. So you know, slightly different ways of communicating both of them because of that. 
You mentioned that the business launched in Singapore largely because of regulatory reasons. How have you thought about that path to also getting the safety proven and getting governments and others to be okay with this new forms being sold in markets? It's a combination of two things. One is just pure education about what this is and why it matters before you even get into some of the deeper questions. What is cultivating meat? Well, to answer that, you've got to ask yourself, what is conventional meat? Conventional meat is a process of industrialization, of industrializing animal protein. It makes up 99% of all of the chicken, beef, pork, fish that all of us consume. And it requires billions of animals, often holed up in relatively tiny spaces without a whole bunch of room. It requires those animals to eat hundreds of millions of pounds of feed every single day. That feed typically is soy and corn. The soy and corn is typically grown in places where rainforest used to stand. And it's responsible for more greenhouse gas emissions than all the transportation sources combined. The UN said it's the number one driver of zoonotic disease. And maybe even simpler than all that, why do we need to do that if we don't have to? Why do you need to slaughter an animal if you don't have to at sort of a base level. Cultivating meat is saying, let's get the end, the taste, the real meat, the nutrition, all that, without everything that comes before it, without the things we don't feel good about. So that's first step, just telling regulators what it is, why we're doing it. And then the second is you drill into the safety. Where does the cell come from? What are the nutrients that you feed the cell? What does it mean when you say you're culturing? Where are you culturing? How are you culturing? How can you be certain that it's safe? Tell me about the microbiological content. Tell me about the risk for zoonotic disease. There's, there's not is the answer. Tell me about your antibiotic use. There's not. Is this genetically modified? It's not. And you really unpack the process. And that's, it's our job. We can't assume regulators know that. It's our job to be able to provide this data to regulators for them to make their assessment. We did that with Singapore. We got the approval. We're in the process having those uh, talks with uh, U.S. regulators and others. And although it's always hard to predict exactly when a regulator is going to give an approval for something, you know, we feel good about U.S. and others eventually, uh, eventually giving it their stamp of approval. A few years ago, as you were building the business, you guys went through a pretty difficult time of some uh, competitors, let's just say, misinterpreting some things. How did you get through that time and really teach the company about the power of adversity to make the company better? The, you know, whether it's today and the, you know, the challenges of, of scaling or, or anything that we go through, the single most important thing that we can do is to put our heads down, focus on the work, and do a good job. When we announce a big fundraise, the single most important thing for us to do is to put our heads down and attempt to do good work. When there's you know some big challenging thing that happens and there's a you know a negative article, the single most important thing we can do is put our heads down and do good work. And we've really learned that simple, maybe non-obvious lesson to, to some folks that the way to deal with anything is just to put your head down and do things. And if you do that enough times over a period of time, you're going to make something that people want to bring into their own lives. 
And when you have millions of consumers who want something and who are buying it or demanding it, that's a pretty, pretty good way to, to build a company. So resilience to me comes from not getting overly excited when things are going really well as they are today, and also not getting overly down when there are a lot of challenging times. You just need the same reaction to both. Put your head down and do shit. And uh, we've developed a pretty strong, uh, strong habit energy around, around that. I love that mindset. Well, you guys are a unique company that, you know, when you think about what the vision and goals of a lot of folks are, they're very financially based as a startup entrepreneur. You guys are much more of a, a change of an industry and an environment. And that's how you started the conversation. So when you look two to five years out, where do you see Eat Just being? And what's the impact that's been made on society? I'll give you five years out and then uh, just a little bit longer. Five years out, we'll be the first global egg brands. We'll be the fastest, not only the fastest growing egg brand in America, but the fastest growing egg brand globally. An increasing number of young people won't even think to choose a chicken egg over an egg that comes from a plant in the same way they don't think of buying music, they immediately would go to streaming. It will be more cost-effective than a conventional egg. It'll be significantly better tasting. And it'll just become increasingly obvious that needing a live animal to produce an egg is something that we used to do. It's not something that we're going to continue to do. On the meat side, we'll be selling more broadly in the U.S., in Europe, in China. You'll have tens of thousands of restaurants who'll make the decision that they don't even need conventional meat on the menu anymore because it satisfies their consumers. And then uh, more long-term, I have a niece named June. She's two years old. By the time June graduates from, uh, from high school, my goal is for the vast majority of chicken, beef, pork, other animal proteins not to require killing a single animal, not to require a drop of antibiotics, not to require tearing down a single tree. And I think by the time she graduates from high school, the vast majority of these animal proteins that are consumed won't require that anymore. Just like the vast majority of pickup trucks being sold by the time she graduates from high school will not be gasoline powered. Just like the vast majority of music when she graduates from high school like it is today will be streaming. Just like the vast majority of diamonds that will be sold will be lab made society will change and our job is to change it faster we feel like the shift is inevitable away from the industrialization of animal protein but inevitability could be a hundred years and every day that goes by that we take yet another bulldozer to tear down yet another forest to plant yet another field of sowing corn to feed yet another billion of billions of animals that on the planet is a big problem for our planet. So we want to, we don't get excited about a hundred year inevitability. We want to bring that closer to 20. And that's really what our, what our job is. Make that happen faster. I think that's a wonderful mindset in the uh, perfect place to bring this to a close. So I really appreciate you taking time to sit down and to share the amazing journey of the company that you have helped build over the last few years. Thanks for caring about it, Dave. Good to talk with you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. 
And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.